Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the Cortalinius podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, uh, and I'm here today with another episode discussing all things Portuguese football. Now, this is a bit of an of a unique episode because we've essentially split it up into two parts. Uh, first part being an interview with Bundesliga journalist uh, and Goal.com writer Ronan Murphy, or some of the, or some of you know him on Twitter. Swear I'm not Paul. Uh, and I discussed with Ronan both the departure of Luca Walschmidt to Wolfsburg, as well as Wendell's arrival at Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Wendell looking to fill a void at left back, left back that has not yet been covered uh, since Alex Tellez's departure to Manchester United and Waldschmidt departing just one year uh, after joining from Freiburg for 15 million euros. So really excited about that. Definitely make sure to check it out uh, as well as our regular show, which I am proud and honored to be doing today with Expresso journalist Diogo Pombo. How are you doing, Diogo? Hi, Zach. I'm fine. Uh, thanks for having me. Everything's perfect. It's a pleasure to have you on. So before we begin, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into journalism um, and currently what, what your plans and, uh, and, and daily routine is like? I guess I'm not able to tell you that I always wanted to be a journalist, but <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that ever since I was like 13, 14, 15, I, I really like got a passion for writing. So, so yeah, I, I think more or less around that age, I wanted to be a journalist. And so ever since I got that idea on my head, I just kept following the normal path to university and so forth. And then I started by writing about uh, non-sport issues like uh, um, uh, stuff like uh, global warming and more societal issues. And then I finally in 2014 I was able to start uh, writing about sports because that's always what I wanted uh, uh, to do and I started in a news, an online newspaper called Observador here in Portugal um, then I went I had the I, I was really really fortunate to go to the European Championship in 2016 so uh, uh, which was one of the most amazing experiences I had in my life um, uh, it was awesome. So, and r right afterwards in, in, in that same summer, I, I, I came to Espresso and I've been here for, for the last five years. I also went this summer to the last European championship was, which wasn't so fortunate for Portugal as the last one, <laughs> but still it was a great experience, of course, because, and it was really, and maybe it was more challenging because of the, all the restrictions and issues that the, that the global pandemic is causing in in everything. So in, in the world of journalism, and we also have, have to deal with some restrictions and, uh, 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 regarding the, ac the access we have to players and coaches and so forth. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> I think I've spoken too much about very, me already. <laughs> so very interesting background. i uh, really excited to have you on discussing uh, the weekend's action. I should point out that as we record this, uh, there are still some games uh, left to be played, um, mm -hmm. including Passos de Ferreira, who are currently drawing 1-1 uh, against Storiel Praia. So Passos de Ferreira um, finished at a, a fantastic season last season under Pepa, um, sealing mm -hmm. a berth to the inaugural campaign of the Europa, Europa Conference League. Um, and they have they are coming off a upset win uh, against Tottenham Hotspur, a heavily rotated Tottenham Hotspur, but Tottenham Hotspur nonetheless, uh, beating them in the first leg. So I would expect, obviously, Nuno Espirito Santo to bring in more of his A-listers for the second leg, but... You know, to defeat a team like Spurs, who, you know, just a few months ago decided to join a breakaway league with the 11 other biggest clubs uh, in football, you know, to, to defeat that with such a modest budget and such a small uh, town population, it just really, it says a lot about uh, what an incredible story this has been for the Beavers. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you think makes 
Passos a special, unique club in, in Portugal? Well, first of all, I, I have to say I love the irony of all this because, as you said, they they won against a team who just wanted to depart from the Premier League and join an, excu- an exclusive league only for multi-zillionaire clubs. <laughs> so I, I really love that that part of the story. And uh, uh, focusing more on Passos, um, it's really a really small town club which has has been more or less a, a regular presence in the in the Portuguese first uh, uh, division. And, and also, they really have a knack for choosing, choosing the coaches wisely because in, in 2012, uh, 2013 season, they had that, that, like the best season they, uh, they had in their history with Paul Fonseca back then. They managed to qualify uh, for the Champions League. They had an amazing season. They finished uh, in third place, which was, I mean, really... Uh, uh, crazy in terms of Portuguese football context because we have a, a championship which is really dominated by the three big clubs, Sporting, Befica and Porto. And what Passos did back then was really awesome. We, and, and we can, we can uh, compare it more or less with what Leicester did in England. Of course, Passos didn't, won, didn't win the, the championship, but it's really uh, comparable. And, and yeah, like I mean, it's a really small town club with with a really limited budget. So, so what they are doing right now in the conference league, where they currently are only one match away from entering the the group stage of the competition, is is it's amazing. It's it's, it's really quite incredible. And and so more even so because they if they get in, I think they win automatically like uh, more or less three million euros, which will really help them to just balance their book, their books, basically. Yeah, Passos Chipeira, um, they've, Os Castores, as they're known in Portugal, the Beavers, um, they've suffered some key departures, such as uh, Bruno Costa, who's gone to Porto, as well as Luther Singh from Copenhagen. I think none more uh, significant, though, than manager Peppa, who joined Vitoria de Guimarães at the end of, of last season. Um, one thing that I will say about Passos, show, you know, Passos, though, it's just, they have a very good history, I would say, of, of discovering, of developing these promising young coaches such as Pepa, such as, you know, you could throw in João Henriquez, uh, Vasco Siabra, or Paulo Fonseca, even. Three promising managers, uh, it'll be interesting, though, to see if George Simao can fit that bill because apart from, I think, a spell at Boavista, he hasn't really had much in the way of long-term stability. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Simao does in that regard. Uh, moving on, the other game after this uh, Passos Storiel game ends, uh, we are going to see a matchup between, between Boavista and Santa Clara. So Boavista are a team that have, we've talked about it on the show, have suffered quite a few uh, big departures this past summer, likes of Angel Gomes, uh, Adil Rami, and Ricardo Mangas, and potentially others such as Albert Ellis have departed Boavista this summer window. But Santa Clara themselves suffering a massive, irreplaceable gap uh, with Carlos Jr., the top scorer, in Santa Clara history, uh, departing. So let's talk a little bit about this move because, you know, Santa Clara, they do have a good history of exporting uh, players and, and getting them big money moves. Uh, we've seen that with Zaidu Sanusi last summer to Porto. We've seen that with uh, Thiago Santana, uh, Fabio Cardoso joining Zaidu at Porto. But Carlos Jr., I think this one might be the most the hardest to take uh, in the Asores from their perspective, uh, going and joining Saudi club Al-Shabaab. What does this mean for the league? Um, I mean, first of all, it's really, I wouldn't say sad, but it's really like, it, it, it really shows a lack of interest at major clubs or, or, or the bigger clubs in Portugal. The lack of interest they have in, in in pursuing these kind of players where they, they excel at smaller teams. And, and Carlos Jr. was just a, a big example of that. He was 
he was a, a great goal scorer. He, he was really good at, at, at attacking the space behind the, the last line of defense. And he, he was really like the tip of the spear of, of, of Santa Clara's um, way of going forward. And, and, he, and he really showed last season that he could be a, a really like solid player in, in one of the bigger teams. Like I'm, I don't think he, he could make it like in immediately at, at, at one of the three major clubs, but maybe for a Braga or a, a Vitória de Guimarães, he, he would be a great addition for sure. And I mean, in myself as a, a sports journalist who, who, who covers mostly the Portuguese football, I mean, it, it, it's a bit sad. <laughs> I didn't want to say sad, but it is a bit sad that a player like Carlos Junior just goes abroad. And exactly as it happened with Ryan Gold, for example, that went to Canada. And yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a really, it's, it's kind of a shame for, for our football that we, we consistently just let go these, these good players who, who have a potential to be a, a great player in, in our league. And, and we just see them going abroad. But, and, but of course, uh, apart from the, the club side of things, we, we are here talking and, and chatting about all this, but we, of course, we, we don't know what the, the player really wants. And of course he went to Saudi Arabia for sure. He, he went there with a huge salary, a salary that maybe not even Benfica, Porto or Sporting could pay him. So we also have to take that into, into, uh, yeah, into account for sure. Carlos Jr., one of the biggest revelations of the Primera last season, uh, departing Santa Clara and joining the Azores as they are in the midst of their first ever European campaign. It is really, uh, it does hit you hard. Another player, another one of last season's revelations who's also linked to a big uh, money move outside of Portugal is Beto. Beto, uh, really impressive second half of the season for Portimonense. Uh, last last campaign, um, there were some, there have been quite a few rumors surrounding Beto, but it seems like uh, seemed like he would stay in the Algarve up until today, when Pedro Sepulveda reported uh, that Beto has learned that Udinese have lodged an offer for him, and that because of this, he is going to force a move uh, to Udinese. So we'll be interesting to see what happens. He's informed his coach uh, that he does not want to play against Paso Chipeira on Sunday. Um, talk to me about Beto, though. This could be another massive loss for the league in terms of you know, promising young stars. Uh, how do you see him fitting in potentially to Serie A? Honestly, I think he will struggle in the beginning. Um, he will have to adapt to, to Italian football football, which we all know is uh, much more tactical, which is kind of cliche to say, but I mean, every player and coach that has been to Italy talks about the difficulties of just adapting to the way teams defend, to the way they behave on a pitch, to the, the structured and organized way that all the teams just play when they don't have the ball. So I think that Beto will struggle a little bit, but if he indeed goes to, uh, to Udinese, I also think that it, it will be a, an amazing chance for him to develop himself because while playing in Putimines, he was kind of that perfect striker. If if your playing model and, and your playing style just asks him to chase chase balls like in the space behind the uh, the last line of defense, so maybe he will have to adapt to a to a different kind of of, of playing style. I, I honestly don't know how the Udinese play are, are playing this season, but for sure it will be a huge challenge for him. Absolutely. Uh, really interested to see what happens with Beto. He opened the scoring in Portimonense's league opener against Vitoria de Guimarães and uh, did the exact same in this 3-0 three, three victory over uh, Tondela. Moving on, we also saw probably the craziest match of the weekend was once again for the second straight week, uh, Murrench, who lost a absolute nail-biter, a 3-2 to Braga. So Morinanch, uh falling down 0-2 early on, but grabbing two late goals, um, and it seemed like seemed like they could pull off 
a pretty impressive home victory. But uh, Braga getting a late winner thanks to Ricardo Horta. Talked a lot about players who could, who who will, who have left Portugal. Uh, Ricardo Horta received a mouthwatering proposal um, just a few weeks ago from Atlanta United to join them in MLS. Uh, Braga accepted the offer. Ricardo did not. He rejected it uh, and decided to remain at Braga. I think when I when I think of the most underrated forwards uh, and players in general in the Primera, I, de- I definitely think that Ricardo Horta is up there. Uh, I thought that he had an outside shout to be considered in in Fernando Santos's Euro squad, but just showing his brilliance again uh, and and scoring against Morenich to lead Braga to victory. Um, we saw just how important he was, um, not only when he played, but also, for example, in, in, in Braga's loss to Sporting. Uh, how, just how good his, has Horta been for Braga? Um, he's been like their most consistent and probably best player for the last uh, maybe two or three seasons. He's... Ricardo Horta is really, really good. I think maybe we we can see his name uh, come up in, on on Thursday when Fernando Santos annou- announces the the call-ups for the next uh, Portugal games for the next uh, national team games. I think it, it wouldn't be really uh, that much of a surprise seeing him being called up to the national team because because yeah, like exactly as you said, he's been one of the best players in, in, in the Portuguese league for a while now. And I think the reason he is not playing for, for one of the three uh, bigger teams than Braga is also shows the, the evolution that Braga has been having because, of course, they, they still don't have the financial power to, to battle consistently with, with the three bigger teams. But I, I think it, sh- it also shows that Ricardo is really happy at Braga He's, he's one of their captains. He, he, he plays in every game. He's, he's like, he, he, and he really benefits from the way uh, Braga is playing with Carlos Carvalhal. I mean, he's, he really adapted to his way of, of playing. And, and yeah, like, um, like I'm, I'm really happy that he stayed in Portugal. Maybe he, he, asked, he asked a few, a few questions to his brother, Andrea, which used to play in LA for uh, a few years back. And he didn't quite adapt to the to the MLS and to the country. So maybe his brother told him to stick around. And and yeah, I'm I'm happy that he that he did. Absolutely. Um, moving on to Aruka against Famalicao. So Famalicao uh, going up early on one nothing um, via Brazilian forward Bruno Rodriguez who joined on loan this past summer from uh, Tom Bench. But Aruka getting two two goals, um, and it seemed like they would pull off a, a an impressive victory until Famalicão equalized uh, in the final minutes, equalizing via Dylan Bab- Batubinska, um, <laughs> only for it to be ruled out due to VAR. So Famalicão having a a late equalizer in in injury time uh, that would have conv- that would have made the exact same score both times two to two, uh, having both of those potential equalizers ruled out due to bar in back-to-back weeks against Porto and Daruka. So Famalica, you know, falling to the uh, relegation zone um, after a season that saw them fight relegation for, for most of the season, but also come within inches uh, on the final day of sealing European football, pretty crazy season, uh, should we be worried about Ivo Vieira's side having taken zero points from his first three games? Um, honestly, I, I think we don't have to worry uh, right now because, I mean, it's, it's the first two games of the season. And once again, Famalicão had a lot of players uh, leaving the club. Um, not so much as, as last season, but still, I think that's six or seven players left, which is kind of... Um, it, it's it's all it's it's kind of hard for a coach to just cement his team and just um, uh, coach his players in in the way he really 
wants the team to play because because when you have a lot of players, a lot of new players coming in, into the club and a lot of players leaving as well, that's that's really hard for for any project just to be consistent. And we we saw that exact same problem last year, and that's why Malikão really struggled uh, up until the point when when Iviera joined. And and yeah, they had a huge progress with him, and and as you said, they almost qualified for Europe. So they did one thing right uh, uh, because they kept uh, the coach for this season. So I think that it will be a matter of time until we see uh, Family Count just playing solidly again. And also because Ivo Vieira has a really attacking style way way of playing, and he he really wants his team to to have the uh, the majority uh, of ball possession. So I really think it's just a matter of time until the team just stabilizes it a little bit and just the new players start adapting to the way Yvieta wants them to play. Just a little word about this Aruka side. You know, finishing fifth and uh, qualifying for the Europa League in 2016, getting relegated in the following year, uh, they look set to go back to the top flight in 2020 um, after finishing in, in the top two uh, when the season was suspended due to, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but uh, they had that appealed and were unable to seal promotion, but winning promotion in 2021 and uh, after two losses to newly promoted Storiel and Benfica getting a fantastic win over over Famalico. Um just how much of an underdog uh, contender would you consider Aruka to be and and really what are your expectations for them under Armando Evangelista of this season? Um honestly I I I I really can't expect that much because I haven't seen a single uh, match of Aruka this season but just looking at their squad I mean I would say they they will struggle in in the first division, but but I mean we also we have a, a lot of other teams which are which which have teams that really need some added quality. I mean, uh, first of all, I can say uh, uh, Belmins is one of the that team. So Aroca, I mean Aroca has the same coach from last season, and they they have a lot of of of, of the same players which which guaranteed the uh, the club its promotion. So. So I would say they they will struggle, but I mean honestly, it's 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 it's, it's I mean uh, it's really hard to uh, 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 for me to predict. <laughs> right, you mentioned Belenenge, another team uh, that I believe has started with zero points from its first three games, alongside Maliko. Uh Definitely mm-hmm. another another blow uh, going up against defending champions Sporting. Uh, who defeated them two nothing? Uh, Belenenge side going down to uh, ten men after Alfonso Taira uh, put a pretty horrendous foul on their on Anjoao Palinha in the 89th minute. Uh, but Palinha overall, one of the biggest stars of this uh, offensive display, scoring a goal and really controlling proceedings uh, to to have Sporting enjoy a perfect start. Just how good is Palinha? And uh, do you think that potentially he could carve out a starting spot under Fernando Santos in midfield over the next few months? I think I think it's definitely possible because right now the options for that number six position, um, for example, Danilo at PSG, um, certainly won't get that much of a playing time on 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 in on midfield. And last season he was already used. A lot of times, and as a center back, so so yeah, it's 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 likely, it's likely for sure. Because also because Padinha is really uh, uh, developing his 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 game style. For example, this season we've seen him do things at Sporting which he didn't quite do that that often last season. For example, he he has really improved his his long range passing and. And, and and you can tell that uh, uh, Ruben Amorim, sporting coach, has really just he, he has really ju- uh, uh, worked a lot at with uh, Padinha. So I think he will 
I, I wouldn't say gain his his place at the national team, but I, I really think he will get more minutes in in the, in the next say six months or or the next season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sporting continuing their perfect start. Um, we saw two rotations, so Nuno Santos getting a start in attack over Jovan Cabral, uh, re- retaining his, regaining his starting spot from last season, uh, as well as Luis Neto starting in the place of Zuhair Fedal. Um, Fedal was mainly used as a starter on the left side of Ruben Lamorim's back three, but I definitely would say that he, he has been one of Sporting's weaker links. Uh, and I think it is, I, I could certainly see him uh, not retaining his starting spot from last season. Um, overall, do you, what, what would you say fed all chances of, of maintaining his starting spot in the back three are, and uh, just how much of a, of a position is that for that sporting need to upgrade on? I mean, we talked about this um, on last week's podcast with Sam, Sam Fonseca. And I said that if Nuno Mensch was sold, I would I would prioritize the money uh, on a on an upgrade at center back. I think that Ruben Ruben Vinagre is good enough as a starter. Personally, I am a bit more concerned about their quality uh, next to uh, finding a quality option next to Gonzalo Inacio and Sebastian Coates. Mm, yeah, I I only half agree with you, Zach, because because I would say that Sporting really needs more uh, um, other solutions at right center back because I think Fedal plays because he's better than Luis Neto and, and that's why we we, we see Gonçalinas who usually, usually play at right center back and he's a left foot player because I I honestly think that Gonçalinas is the best left footed uh, center back that center back that Sporting has but but I mean um, Fedal can play as a right center back so that's why uh, Ruben Emery I think he prefers to, to, to have the youngster there um, so so honestly I would say that Sporting has to to upgrade these options for right center back or center back because currently they only have Luis Neto who is, who is 32 or 33 years old and he's not a regular starter usually Ignacio plays there so I think that Fedal will will still be playing quite usually this season, uh, uh, just until Sporting just finds a solution for the right center back uh, position, which should which should be Eduardo uh, Quaresma, another youngster. But Sporting loaned him to Tondela just to get more playing time and maybe work on his concentration issues, which he still had a lot uh, despite of his big uh, potential. Definitely think that Eduardo Quaresma could uh, improve on loan at Tondela. Really excited to see how he does there. Um, Sporting, one of two clubs to have won three of their first three matches in Liga B win Portugal alongside Benfica. So Benfica heavily resting um, after and in preparation for uh, their match against PSV Eindhoven winning the first leg of their Champions League qualifier against PSV, one nothing, but uh, still looked at risk, I would say. Still looked very much at risk of, of potentially blowing it in the second leg. I didn't think that they were uh, superior at all times. Or, excuse me, I should have said 2-1 for Benfica. So 2-1. Mm-hmm. Um, Benfica heavily rotating uh, with George Jesus picking the likes of Adel Tarvat, Sualiho Mate, Mete, uh, Everton, and Morato also hanging on to his place uh, in the filling in for the injured Jan Bertongen. Um, Benfica, you know, left it late, um, had quite a few goals. I believe two goals overturned due to far, but getting two late goals from Lucas Verissimo and an absolute rocket from substitute Alex Grimaldo. Um, what did you make of Benfica's match? Uh, did it cause any concern for you uh, with regards to their performances under George Jesus this season? Um, uh, I really think this match wouldn't be a major cause of concern because Benfica had a lot of the ball. They they played most of the time at the, 
actually centers uh, um, uh, fields. So the thing is, Benfica didn't really find that much uh, spaces in the center of the pitch to just be able to shoot the ball uh, at goal. So once again, we saw Benfica just opting to to take the ball to the flanks and just keep crossing and crossing and crossing, which eventually you you have like a couple of, of chances to to have your striker in a, in a position where he, he can shoot. But I mean, I think the team still lacks a, a bit of fluidity just playing in the in the middle of the pitch with players just uh, linking up between them. And, and as you said, uh, Befica played at Chilvicente where, where a lot of players who, who are not uh, regular starters. So, and, and you could see the difference when, uh, for example, João Mario came on. Because, because when he plays alongside uh, Julian Weigel in the center of, of the field, I mean, the, the offensive part of Benfica game just really, really, really shines because he, he's a player who really just, just, uh, really thinks about what to do with the ball and he, he knows, he knows how to manage the, the tempo of, of Benfica's attacking play. So I don't think that's a major cause of concern because Jorge will play his regular starters at, in, in Holland for sure. And I mean, it, it, it will really, be a matter of, of which strategy and which uh, posture does the team adopt in, in Holland. Like uh, today, the coach said that it should be on everybody's mind that Mifika has to score goals against PSV. So, so he's showing that he will not go to Holland to just uh, defend and, and, and just uh, stick the team in front of the goal. So I... I don't think there's a major reason to to be worried, but yeah, I mean, PSV has is having a great um, start in their season. So uh, I, I, re- I honestly, I, I think Benfica will struggle, but but they have the the capacity to just reach the Champions League Champions League group stage, which is which is the really huge <laughs> objective of, of Benfica because they failed to do so last season, and they once again. They didn't heavily invest in the team as they did last year, but still they they're they're spending quite some money just buying new players. So yeah, this is really huge for for Befica as a club. Yeah, heavy rotation. Um and absolutely you cannot disagree with George Jesus' decision to prioritize the PSV match. We saw last summer how, you know, Benfica losing to Pauk in the qualifiers, um, missing out on that precious prize money and forced to sell Ruben Diaz to Manchester City. Um, I think that missing out on Champions League football would definitely have some serious uh, implications and for their uh, ability to hold on to the likes of Darwin Nunes um, and so on. Uh, Benfica, though, you know, beating Gil Vicente and, and one player, two players who I thought had were amongst the standouts for Benfica were uh, Everton and Lucas Verissimo, two Brazilian standouts. Uh, I think that, you know, Verissimo, you know, grabbing the goal, grabbing the opening goal. But I thought that Everton was one of their best and most dangerous threats against Gil Vicente's um, deep block. Been somewhat of a hot and cold start to life uh, in Portugal for Everton. But uh, I'm curious, what do you think is going to be his role, his importance for Benfica this season? Um, and especially with Nemanja Rondonjic coming in for Marseille, coming in from Marseille, uh, do you think he has a chance to turn things around under George Jesus and potentially stake out a starting spot? Uh, yeah, I honestly think he has because, I mean, he, he has already uh, done two pre-seasons with pre-seasons with uh, Jesus. So I think he had time to adapt his game to what the coach wants from his wingers, because right now the way Bifika is playing, George Jesus usually asks uh, his wingers to just come inside and ask for the ball between the lines. And, and last season, there was a huge contrast, tr- contrast to the way Everton used to play in Brazil because he watched 
he his his uh, positioning in, in in Brazil was was just he, he just waited for the ball to come to him, uh, uh, like uh, and he and he really stuck to the uh, uh, to the wings and then he he just got the ball and he he started running and dribbling the um, uh, the players that that basically just got in front of him so. He already had a year to to adapt to another way of playing, so I I think he will be most definitely improved in, in relation to last season. So I think he, he he can and he should gain his spot in the in the starting lineup because in terms of raw um, talent and ability, I think he's one of the most gifted players that that Mexica has right now. Absolutely. Cannot agree more. Uh, Benfica and Sporting, the two Lisbon giants, maintaining their perfect records, whereas Porto fell to a 1-1 draw against Marichimo uh, in Funchal, Madeira. So the topic that has been on everybody's minds outside of what happened on, on the pitch was the actual pitch uh, and its <laughs> lack of quality. Uh, it was, I would, I would consider it a glorified potato patch. I think that might be a little offensive. <laughs> what we saw was frankly offensive to Sunday league pitches to compare it to a Sunday league pitch. It was uh, frankly not of the standard what a top league should be aiming for. And Marichimo, uh, Marichimo's social media admin found it necessary to point out to, to defend his field's lack of quality, uh, to point out the inadequacies of other league, of other teams' pitches, uh, some in the lower divisions. I thought it, it was pretty bizarre. Um, what have you made of this Marichimo uh, field scandal and in general the quality of pitches uh, in Portugal? <laughs> That's kind of Portuguese football in a nutshell, <laughs> because I mean it's we unfortunately here in Portugal we have a lot of these extra football just soap operas that kind of deviate the attention from the actual game. We have we have these kind of episodes every year, and actually uh, like um, a few hours ago, uh, Maritimo's president president just came out and said that. This this whole problem has has to do more with Sergio Conceição' lack of ability to to know how to lose, and he just he just blamed everything on the on the weather. Um, they they are having in in Madeira. They blame it on the on the heat heat. So yeah, that's just another uh, scandal <laughs> in Portuguese football, which is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, like. Um, honestly, the pitch was really awful, and and of course it limited the the game's quality. Of course, and and of course that Sergio Conceição complained. He he had already uh, complained before the match, and and yeah, they draw it, so it was really just uh, predictable that he would just talk about the the pitch's quality uh, once again. But yeah, like Porto, Porto actually played well in the first half they had a lot of the ball they created chances they 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 were able to press really high up and they didn't let Maritimo play but Maritimo scored the goal in like in the only passing play they did uh, in the first half and in the second half Porto just couldn't link up a decent play honestly and actually they they ended the match with all their best and, and technical gifted players on the pitch. Corona was playing, Pepe was playing, um, Francisco Conceição was playing as well, but still with the pitch in, in those conditions, it was really hard for them to link up with, the, with one another. So, so yeah, the, they tried to solve the match with, with their, uh, basically with their uh, uh, quality in, and but yeah, like the plan didn't didn't work, and Porto had a really bad second half, and and, and okay, the bad quality of the pitch explains some part of it, but it, it can serve as a, a complete um, just uh, yeah, it can serve as a, a the whole excuse for for their draw. 
Porto dropping points in Madeira, um, definitely a very a big blow in, in their attempt to uh, keep points with Benfica and Sporting. Still very early, but uh, you know I, I thought that Sergio Conceição's decision to start Ivan Marcano at left back, you know, frankly bizarre and indicative of of, of those who who said back in the summer that Conceição should not be getting a contract renewal. Um, uh, in, in fairness, Wendell, new signing Wendell was not available as, and, and Zaidu Sanusi after his mistake against Folico, you know, I understand that I personally would have played Wilson Manafa there, but in, in fairness, he doesn't have many great options. Uh, but yeah, massive, massive blow. Um, and definitely something that they're going to need to rebound from. Uh, but another match that I thought was, you know, as they say, as the saying goes, goals are like ketchup. Um, sometimes you, you try pounding it, pounding the bottle a lot, nothing comes out. And then finally it all comes out. And, and that was, that was definitely uh, a metaphor for Vitoria de Guimaraes' game um, against Vicela. So Vitoria de Guimaraes, uh, you know, having a new manager, as we talked about, Pepa, after leading Passos Chipeira, uh, to, to European football. Pepe coming in and joining uh, Vitoria de Guimaraes this past summer has not been a great start for them. Uh, losing to Portimonense 1-0, drawing to Storio, um, and looked set for another potential, potentially another draw to newly promoted Vizela. Um, and that is until Marcus Edwards came off the bench and inspired a 4-0 victory uh, for Vitoria. So Marcus Edwards is, is one of the, you know, definitely one of the most graceful, one of, one of the most exciting players to watch in Portugal when he's on his day. And I think that's the biggest criticism of him in Portuguese football circles is, you know, he too often he picks and chooses when his day is. A player of his talent, you know, should not be getting benched by Rochinha and by Ricardo Quaresma. But performances like that, like we saw against Fizela, just show how much of a special talent Edwards is um, and, and why, frankly, I, th- I think they'll be in. They could certainly be in for a huge profit um, in a year or two on him. He needs to maintain that consistency. He needs to you know, improve that and his decision-making. But uh, this kid is a special talent, is he not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he really is. I, I agree with you. He's, he's, he's a great talent. And... But yeah, Marcus Edwards' main problem, excluding his first season in, in Portugal, is is exactly the the consistency because he he has had great matches and his his individual ability to just to just wreck uh, defenses um, is is amazing. But but yeah, he there were a lot of matches where he simply didn't do anything useful with the ball, and he just he I think he is the kind of a, a kind of player where like if Vitoria is having um, a difficult match or is struggling or is playing against a team which has a lot of the ball and just makes them run I think that Marcus Edwards just go just just really shrinks I, I mean I, I I really don't know how to explain it but I think he just gets away from matches he he doesn't really concentrate on on just being a, a standout and just asking for the ball and, and just Showing up when when the team most uh, when the team needs him the most. I mean, of course that Rochinha and Rochinha and and Quaresma shouldn't be playing in front of him in terms of raw talent. But when you actually see the three of them playing, I think I think that Rochinha and Quaresma still offer greater um, greater uh, things to the team. I mean, okay. Ricardo Quaresma is 37 or, or 38 years old, but he, he's, still, he's still really unpredictable. And he can play with both feet, which is something that Marcos Edwards doesn't do. He's really dependent on, on his left side, but, but it, it, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. And, and Rochinha, I think, from the wingers they have, I think Rochinha is the one who, who, who can play like in, in other areas of the pitch, he, usually he comes a lot inside to ask for the ball and, and, to, and to just link up with, with other team players. And I think that Edwards, if he 
if he's able to maintain a high level and some decent consistency, he should start the majority of the games. But but yeah, I think I think that's something he really has to work on, just having a stable um, performance throughout the season. Absolutely. Massive win for Vitoria. Uh, so to wrap off this podcast, I want to go into our talent of the week section. Uh, so my talent of the week, drum roll, uh, is going to be, is going to be Bruno Sadas. Bruno, Bruno Sadas, I believe is how it's pronounced. Chavez, yes. <laughs> okay. Bruno Sadas, um, of Marichima, one of the inspirations for their, uh, upset draw against Porto. Um, so Shadas, you know, coming through Braga's Academy at a young age and, uh, starring, excelling and ascending to the first team. Looked like he was going to get a 25 million euro move uh, to Monaco just, I believe, three years ago. Uh, But the move broke down due to an injury. He ended up staying at Braga. And, you know, not only did he not get a big move from there, he also did not manage to uh, make his way and, and consolidate a starting spot in Braga's starting lineup. So really struggled there. Um, and, you know, ended up joining Marichimo. Marichimo, uh, unlike Braga, unlike Monaco, you know, a club that is, is used to competing in, in the mid-table. So, you know, spending some time on Marichimo, spending some time at Marichimo and Mushkan uh, on loan before joining Marichimo in, on a permanent deal um, this past summer, scoring a beautiful goal right before halftime to equalize after Luis Diaz's opener. Um, I frankly, I think that this move to, to Marichmo, you know, to get stability, to become potentially the team's leader in attack after Rodrigo Pino's departure to Benfica. Uh, I think it's something that he will relish and, you know, he will use uh, to become the, to, to frankly show the potential that he offered uh, just three years prior at Braga. Um, he showed, against Porto, just, just how special he can be on his day. Um, what are your thoughts on Chavez? I agree with you. I think that Brun Chavez has a huge, huge ability to just strike the ball with his left foot. I mean, it's, he, we've seen him play really well at times, but I also think he got a bit unlucky at Braga because when he was still struggling to find his spot at the team, uh, there was a time that Francisco Trincao that just showed up and, and, and when uh, Trincao got in, into the team, he really just stole space from, uh, uh, from everyone else because he, he really shone bright at, at Braga and, and, and basically he played at the, at the same position as Chavez. So Chavez just, he went to, he went to Maritimo first and then, and then to Belgium. But yeah, I mean, I think he, he, he has to just, basically he has more or less the same problem as Marcus Edwards. He just needs consistency. And I think he's the kind of player who, who, who needs a coach to just trust him and, and give him the, the steering wheel of the team, <laughs> I would say, because he, I th- and, and I think he could really develop in, in Maritimo because, uh, Julio Velasquez is a coach. Who, who likes to, he seemed to have a lot of the ball and he really tries to play from the back. But I mean, also I think they, they will struggle because they, their squad is not that, that deep. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think he, it, it was a good move for him to just stick around then Maritimo. And I hope he just, he's just able to get a full regular and consistent season of, of, of starting. Uh, most of the matches, uh, most of the matches, matches. I think that's what's lacking in him. Yeah, could not agree more. Definitely getting that regularity and importance that that he has found at Marishimo. Uh Who is your talent of the week? Oof, that's a good question. I I wasn't thinking about it, but talent of the week. I agree with you. I really like the way Lucas Verissimo played at Benfica. I think he's he's been playing really well in for the last three or four matches but yeah Befica didn't play that good so apart from Lucas Verissim because I, I only unfortunately I only saw the matches of Sporting Befica and Porto 
So apart from him, from him, I would say that Paginha, yeah, he, because he's he's having a great start of the season as well, but also because he keeps on showing another side side um, to his game. As I said already, he's really improving in his long range passing, and I think he's getting uh, a little bit more involved in, in the in Sporting's attacking play because he's 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 getting the ball in further further. Uh, uh, further away from his own goal, and he's trying to just associate himself with with his with the, the attacking players that Sporting has, and I think th- that will really help help him in in uh, developing his his attacking game because usually he's just a typical number six. Six. He's really strong when when the team loses the ball. He's really quick and intense to react. Uh, to those moments, and he really helps the team in that in that in those uh, dimensions of, of football. Let's say, but uh, yeah, I, I see him really improving in in his attacking side. So I think he could um, he could. If, I mean, if he keeps this rhythm of of evolution of improving, I think he can become a really influential um, player in. In sporting, even more influential. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Diogo, uh, for coming on the show. It was an honor to have you. Uh, Thank you. Make sure to check out Diogo's articles on Espresso. A fantastic writer, fantastic journalist. Always a pleasure to read both his interviews uh, as well as his blogs. Uh, thank you so much, um, Diogo. Obrigado. Thank and you, Zach. <laughs> Thanks for we'll having me. We'll have you on again soon uh, on Cortalinias. Everybody, make sure as well to check out my interview with goal journalist Ronan Murphy in our special uh, podcast of relating to the Bundesliga, where we discuss Luca Waldschmidt, as well as Porto's new signing, Wendell. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, and I will see you all next week.